I don't have a quarrel with Scorsese. I also don't really agree with him, but whatever, you know. is entitled to a misfire now and then that includes the gifted Kiwi performer and filmmaker most responsible for Thor Love and Thunder. It's a scattered affair that at a certain point is played out as out and out comedy. That's from the great Leonard Malton, LeonardMalton.com. Wow. He is of course a uh, venerated film critic, a former guest here in Cinephile. He's talking about Taika Waititi. That is the director of the new film Thor Love and Thunder. That is our new film that we are talking about. Our old movie, Throw Mama from the Train. Unbelievable. We talked We talked about Batman Returns a lot last week. and a lot of good buzz via social media. People wanted more Danny DeVito. I go, great. I'll dial up Throw Mama from the Train. I haven't watched that in a long time. 35th- Did we get some Danny DeVito in this oh movie? God. I mean, sheesh. This is the 35th anniversary of Throw Mama from the Train. Because people go, it's kind of arbitrary. I go, no, Batman Returns, 30th anniversary. This is the 35th anniversary. We're talking more Danny DeVito. And he directed that. Yeah. I just learned that when I was doing research for you. Like When I was watching it, I didn't know he directed it. It was in Interesting to learn that after. Dude, notable director. Loves Hitchcock. I'm like, we're going to have a lot to say about Throw Mama from the Train. And our okay. wild cards, Douglas Wolk. He is the author of a sensational book. If you love Marvel comics, you're going to love this book. All yeah. of the Marvels. This guy read 27,000 Marvel comics. He read every single one. The guy's unbelievable. And it was easy for him. That's what he said. Like, it must have been kind of hard to track these down. No, no, it was easy. How easy? <laughs> You'll find out in the interview coming yes. up. Um, we're also going to do a couple tributes here. Major, major passings here. James Caan and Tony Sirico. Very, very sad news. And Emmy nominations, I thought were going to come out. It's 1224 right now on a Tuesday. They should be out by now, so I'll check my phone. I'll give you my Emmy nominations. Take in a second. But first, Chris is back from Lake Tahoe. I mean, God, when you think of The Godfather Part Two, you think of Lake Tahoe, and you're there. I love the fact you interviewed Joe Buck. He's one of my favorite broadcasters. Oberman, Shulman, Joe Buck. I mean, he's up there. And he was great with you guys. Love Stugatz. You asked him a great question. What's the least prepared Joe Buck has ever been? Uh, he gave you a great answer. It was fun. Tahoe is, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of, uh, you know, craps tables after work. So it, it, it takes a toll on the body just in total. But uh, it's a great place. Have you been to Tahoe? I've never been to Tahoe. Adnan, I'm telling yeah. you, it is breathtaking. It is by far the most gorgeous place I've been to in America. Like, I, I've been to Italy. I've been smiling. Like, I'm not going to say it. in the whole world. It is my favorite. I'm not going to say the whole world. But in terms of America, just breathtaking. Holy crap. Every time you turn, it's just like, holy shit. You take a picture, you send it to your wife, and it doesn't do it justice. The pictures, which is actually, in this day and age, it's nice to have something that's like, you know what? The phone doesn't do this justice. You have to come here and experience the breathtakingness of this landscape. I'm telling yeah. you, I can't even understand. Mike Ryan went this year for the first time. We uh, we sold it to him. He got there. He's like, everyone needs to come next year. This is life changing. Like, oh it is that gorgeous out sell. there. Okay, I gotta go because the outdoor classic course hockey, the the outdoor game, the Tahoe. And I always go to California visit my wife's family in December. So this year I'm gonna push Tahoe in December. Dude. Two days. Let's just go check it out. Yeah. Um, by the way, you can listen to Stupidity. That was the interview. Stu had also a. Uh, Boomer Wells on I love David Wells. Yeah. He hasn't watched baseball in four years. He hates all the you know spin rate, all that kind of stuff. That wasn't surprising. But it was so it. stereotypical, like a uh, former baseball guy. Doesn't he's yeah. <laughs> just like yeah, just crapping on yeah. the game today. These guys don't pitch more than five innings. Like, no, no, I got it. Oh. Sandy Alcantara, by the way, shoves. He pitches eight innings every time. But okay, whatever. All good. Oh, a horse. I love Sandy Alcantara. A horse. Wait, check out Stupidity. You can hear uh, Chris and Mike Ryan, a special guest. How about the Marlins potentially having two all-star starters? Yeah. Jazz was voted in as a starter, and Sandy. Oh, I mean. Sandy 
he should start. He's, he's got the numbers to be no the starter. He should be starting. Listen, if they go with sentiment, Clayton Kershaw, I get it, it's in L.A. Gonsolin's got the lower right. ERA, but dude, Alcantara's been the best starter in the National League. It should be him. Yeah. Jazz Chisholm starting at second base. Great to see. Look at that. Uh, we got our baseball talk in. Let's talk a little movies. Sad, sad times as James Caan passing away, finally succumbing to the toll booth injuries that Sonny suffered in The Godfather Part Two. James Caan, listen, original Hollywood tough guy, discovered by Francis Ford Coppola in The Rain People, and that was 1969. A few years later, he is in The Godfather, and he's such a critical part of that movie. You know, The Godfather is arguably the greatest American movie ever made. 50th anniversary. I'm glad James Caan got to live to see it. Brando is lording over it all. At that point, his career had taken a bit of a dip, but he shows up playing a character who's older than he is, you know, stuffing his mouth with the jowls and the voice and all the rest of it. Pacino's star-making performance. He's coming off the Panic in Needle Park, small little independent film. He makes this. He becomes a massive star playing the enigmatic Michael. And, you know, Robert Duvall is always so excellent. But Sonny's character is so critical of that movie because James Caan comes in just like a lightning bolt. And if you've read The Godfather... You know why when Al Pacino was cast as Michael, he said, well, I don't play Sonny. He said, every actor wanted to play Sonny. That's the fun role. Like, that guy can play. He's angry. He's volatile. He's tempestuous. Yeah. He's a lover. He's a fighter. Like, yeah, that's the showy, flamboyant role. Michael, like, I, 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 don't, I don't know how I'm supposed to play Michael. Michael's a small military vet. Like, that's, it's a tough role. It's one of the reasons why Pacino struggled with the role. But you can see why in the hands of Francis Ford Coppola, he said, no, no, James Conn's my guy. He owns Santino and the role of Sonny. Two things always stand up to me when I think about Sonny and the Godfather. One is the beating he gives Carlo, you know, outside of the trash can after he's, you know, messing around with his wife and beating her up. And, of course, his death, which is just, I mean, it's one of the most iconic moments in movie history. It takes that many bullets to take on a guy like Sonny Corleone. So Thief is a great film he also did in 1981. Michael Mann film. If you love the film Heat, of course, Michael Mann directed De Niro Pacino. Check out early Michael Mann, 1981. Might be one of James Caan's best lead roles. He's absolutely fantastic in it. Neo-noir. You know, later in his career, obviously did more, you know, supporting roles in comedies. And I enjoy them as much as anyone. We'll get to Chris and Elf in a second. Mickey Blue Eyes, fantastic. Him and Hugh Grant. You know where I'm going? You know know where I'm going? Honeymoon in Vegas. I enjoy that good to see him there with Nicolas Cage but if you want like classic you know listen for all you softies out there as I said Brian's song is a very memorable film playing Brian Piccolo who's dying of cancer him and whole Gale Sears and also I think Rollerball people are fans of that movie as well the one that I, I really love and props to Bill Simmons amazing timing just last week they did it on the rewatchables is Misery Kathy Bates, one of the brilliant performances by any female actress the last 30 or 40 years. You know, she owns the screen and wins Best Actress for a horror movie, which you never see. But it's James Caan stuck to a bed for an entire movie. I mean, amazing casting by Rob Reiner. The fact that he's okay, who can I get that would just look so edgy and pissed off and irritable as this best-selling novelist, James Caan. And the fact he can go toe-to-toe with Kathy Bates, who's so overpowering in the role, but the moments of desperation. I mean, again, when I think of his career, I think of Sonny and the Godfather, but I also think of him on a bed. And when she puts that log and says, don't worry, Paul, it's for the best. And, and a great nugget from Bill, in which uh, William Goldman, the, the obviously incredible writer, said that originally in the Stephen King book, the, she hacks off his feet. And it's just disgusting. And he was like, oh my God, I can't wait to write this. And then Rob Reiner's like, no, no, we can't do that. He's like, why? He's like, we, we, we're going to lose the audience. So instead, it's hobbling. And they put that log in there and she takes the sledgehammer, that amazing part in the trailer. Don't worry, Paul, it's for the best. And just wham on that cut. And James goes, ah, screaming in pain. It's, it's a riveting performance. So if, you, if you're like, hey, I kind of know James Caan. I want to learn more about him. The Godfather, Thief, Misery, and now we get to Elf and Chris Cody's beef with me. I, like Dan Lebertard, was appalled by the Miami Herald headline, Godfather and Elf actor dies at 82. Brutal.
This is, you guys are showing your age. Look, man, nobody is saying what he did in The Godfather wasn't his main role. But if you ask anybody under the age of what? What's the age? 20, if, under the age of 25. This is what Elf is every Christmas. I don't want to sit here and say that they're on the same level from the cinema aspect, you know, like Martin Scorsese. Like, I'm, I'm with you. It's clearly different levels of movies. But if you just want to talk about notoriety, what young people today know him from, that's like James Conn. There's a lot of people that were connecting with that headline saying, oh, James Conn, don't know. Oh, Elf. Oh, that's James Conn. Okay. You know what I mean? That's why that's in the headline. I just think. So it's for the young people, I, I and there's wouldn't... nobody under the age of 25 even reads newspapers anymore. But you're telling me that headline's for the young people out there. That's true. That 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 is kind of a good point by you, that I'm saying that like 23-year-olds reading the newspaper, they all now know who we're talking about. I get so the I guess... social media headline, because you're like, hey, on Twitter, it's younger people. Instagram, TikTok. Here's a TikTok video of an Elf. I get that. But a news paper the miami herald that's being read by 40 plus they're going godfather but, and misery but he's honestly part of like elf has some real charm to it usually will ferrell movies you say to yourself they're kind of funny but also really yeah. dumb elf has like a real and this is like i know you made fun of it in the, your clip on mlb network you're like it's some guy some guy dressed in tights no, so i said the like, godfather's one of the greatest films of all time and this is a film with a, a man child with a pointy hat <laughs> right, and it's ridiculous, but it, but it, it has feel to it because of James Con. James Con's uh, journey in that movie is great. like he's like this jerk guy who doesn't even want anything to do with his son, and by the end he's feeling it. Like James Con's great in that movie. James Con is part of the reason why Elf I think grabs people. If you don't have a good actor playing James Con in that role, it's just ridiculous, as you said. But I just feel like. For the younger people, like it is worthy of being in that headline, Elf. It is that popular with kids these days, and he was that great in that role. I'll I'll, I'm defending I'll, I'll Elf. Take, I'll take James I'll Conn. Take love James Second Conn. paragraph of the Obit. I'm not going to take headline. Headline's going to be Godfather actor, <laughs> and the first thing is Godfather, and then second paragraph also mm. known for the Yuletide classic Elf. I'm like, okay, I'll take. Okay. It. I, I can't have it in a headline. All right. I'm glad we're giving James Conn some love. I'm glad that you're a fan of him in Elf. At the very least, you're giving love. Oh. And I agree with you. Listen, does he add to the film? Absolutely. It's a better movie because James Conn is in it. Yeah, you can enjoy James exactly. Conn on that level. Uh, also, the program. If you like your football movies, in 1993, my buddy Chicoy reminded me. Remember, remember the program? Like, oh, yeah, Latimer, crazy linebacker, loves their defense. I think he must have been. Was James Conn always kind of grumpy in all his it movies? Had to be, right? Like, he never really saw a light touch of James <laughs> Conn. And I believe an elf, someone can, can correct me on this. I believe he hated Will Ferrell. I mean, someone will probably correct me on this, but I, I believe if you do a quick Google search, I don't think he enjoyed the making of Elf. I don't. Oh, really? I don't think. I, don't think, <laughs> I think, I particularly, if he saw that headline, he would be pissed. <laughs> he would definitely want to start a fight with somebody. Wait, Godfather and Elf actor? If you can Google as we're discussing, we'll clean it up if it's right or wrong. I, am. I don't think James Conn enjoyed the experience of making Elf. We go to another death, Tony Sirico, also known as Polly Walnuts, of course, from The Sopranos. A tough, listen, this is a tough one-two punch to have to deal with here, especially if you add Ray Liotta, noted tough guy from six weeks ago. So we got a lot of tough guys right now looking up at us, or as George Carlin says, maybe they're looking up at us rather than looking down upon us. Tony Sirico was an actual wise guy. He had roots the Colombo crime family, ends up getting clean, short stint in the can, and then ends up being a pretty good actor. In fact, there's some clips circulating of him and James Conn together. I think it's Mickey Blue Eyes, where they're both in together, but it's definitely there's some shared screen time with both of those guys. But Sirico was always playing the heavy, and nothing more memorable than in The Sopranos as Polly Walnuts. Again, The Sopranos exists, and in large part is due to the greatness of James Gandolfini. But Gandolfini 
It's important that his character has some vulnerability. He's a lead actor who has to be likable on some level. So, yes, he can be a guy who is a stone-cold killer, but he's also a father. He can relate to the problems you're trying to connect to his teenage daughter and his son who has suicidal thoughts, and he's upset after the breakup with his you know, girlfriend, and he watches TCM like me and shovels ice cream in his face. So Gandolfini has some human characteristics. The character I love, of course, Michael Imperioli as Christopher. He's, again, a vulnerable character, alcoholic, you know, abusive boyfriend, but a guy who's a hard worker, as he says when he told me in Cinephile. That's the way he found the entry of that character. Part of what made Tony Sirico so great in The Sopranos was he had the real authenticity of being a tough guy. When you watch The Sopranos, like, yeah, I could definitely see this guy being in the can, which he was. I could definitely be see him a criminal, which he was. And there was a real threat of menace about him. That's not to say that Gandolfini wasn't menacing. Of course, he was a hulking bear. But you knew with Pauly Walnuts and Tony Sirico's characterization, he was a mean-spirited character. And you saw that in his relationship with Christopher. And particularly late in the season, I thought it was so bold what David Chase did late in the series when he finds out his mother, who he thinks is his mother, is not his real mother. And he just loses it on her. He had bought her a TV. I think he stole the TV. And he's in the nursing room. He throws the TV out. He's just, he's just calling her a whore. Not even a whore. A whore. H-O-O-dash-E-R. He goes, you were a whore. My mom was a whore. You were a whore. I'm like, wow. Like, it, it was one of those scenes that made you realize, hey, you might love The Sopranos, but these are horrible people. They do dastardly things. This guy has zero compassion for the woman that raised him because his real biological mother couldn't, you know, at that time... Etc. She wasn't married. She couldn't raise him. So on. The, the Paulie's reaction to that, I, I thought Tony Sirico's acting was marvelous, and it was also one of the funniest characters in the show. You've seen the memes being spread around. There's like a one minute clip yeah. of just him laughing, like it's just a <laughs> all the one liners. And David Chase said all the writers when they'd be together, the guys always wanted to write for Paulie. Like, oh, Paulie is so funny. He had so many great one liners. So Tony Sirico. He always point. He always pointed at you when he's pointing at you with a pointer. The pinky was out too. Yes, the classic. Like he, he couldn't point that. You without the pinky. <laughs> One of the great regrets, Christopher. Christopher, <laughs> listen, Christopher. <laughs> yeah, that. Just because your family. Now I'm throwing on. I'm throwing an extra ten G's right. just to tell you I'm serious. Their relationship. That's a terrible and Paulie impersonation. Amazing. Like, I mean, Paulie and Christopher going back yeah. and forth. I mean, the, the love hate primarily hate with those two characters. It's part of what made The Sopranos so special, I, and so memorable. By the way, I did find a James Con quote on Will Ferrell. It's kind of like bolt to what you said. Okay. Like in the mo- in the making of the movie, he didn't really love it. But the, here's the quote: Con sure. said, "Con, uh, well, this is Will Ferrell. Con came up to me at the Elf premiere. Ferrell stated, and he's like, "Hey, I got to tell you something. Every day on set, I thought you were way over the top, but now." Now I see what you were doing. Great job. So like it was one of those things where I think in the moment he annoyed the shit out of him, but he kind of like in hindsight, like after he saw the movie, he was like, okay, now I kind of get what you were doing. Right. I, I I guess I could totally see that from both perspectives, actually. Again, why would you expect James Conn to understand what Will Ferrell's going for? Right. At the end, I'm glad he liked it. Uh, a quick thought right now on the Emmy. I'll do Emmy nominations at the end, actually. You know what? Let's talk some movies here. So let's talk Thor, Love and Thunder. New film right now in theaters. Thor enlists the help of Valkyrie, Korg, and ex-girlfriend Jane Foster to fight Gore the God Butcher, who intends to make the gods extinct. Like, I have no idea what that even means. Now, going into this movie, see, I'm not a big Marvel guy, but Thor, the first one, is what, what number is this for Thor? I, don't know, Sorry, I love not Thor Ragnarok. I think this is the third one. I've always heard that that Thor was like, of all the Marvel movies, if you say to people, best Marvel movie ever, yeah. one of the Thors is Thor in Thor Ragnarok, there. awesome. So I'm just, yeah. so it's like a great, that's, there's a standard here with these Thor movies, so I'm just wondering, like, with that that context, how did this one Yeah, so in that context, this was a disappointment. This was not as good as the previous Thors, because that Thor Ragnarok was funny, it was action-filled, it was smart, it was clever, it seemed to appeal to the geeks and those who are, uh, you know, relative neophytes to it. So Casual. in that respect, yeah. I'd say it's a little bit disappointing. But 
What I like about the film is that it's got a real sense of humor to it. Like some of these superhero movies, especially when I think back to the Batman, I know that's DC versus Marvel, but that was such a grim, nihilistic experience. Like it was just so bleak. Like Batman, just a complete absence of humor. And I get it, he's a dark character. But my point is, with Thor, Love, and Thunder, it's a completely different vibe. So what I appreciate about it is that it's fun. It's fun-loving. Again, Taika Waititi is a great director. Um, he's responsible for Jojo Rabbit, which was an excellent film. And he's got some real star power here. Hemsworth is the perfect Thor. I mean, you talk about perfect casting. This guy's just built. He looks like a Viking. Yes. Yeah, exactly. That voice and that. And he's just so handsome. He's <laughs> <laughs> squinting the whole time. Like, God, open up your eyes. But you've got an Academy Award winner, Natalie Portman. Academy Award winner, Christian Bale is the bad guy. And you've got Academy Award winner, Russell Crowe, who just looks unrecognizable now. Like, like used to be in great shape, built of granite. Now, late 50s, just got fat, doesn't care. I'm like, I thought it was for a role. Like, I saw him in a role. Like, I think he just got fat for the role. He loved. No, no, actually, he's just, he's just fat now. Okay. He's playing Zeus. <laughs> But he's hilarious. I mean, he's a great actor. He's got some good moments. And if you want your star power, we also got Chris Pratt showing up. You got Dave Bautista. You got Vin Diesel as Groot. I mean, Bradley Cooper as Rocket. So they definitely made sure to get all those other characters in there. But as far as the reception to it, you're absolutely right to bring up the other Thor. Because critic-wise, 67%. That's not nearly as well-reviewed as the previous one. But the audience score of 81%. So most importantly, my son, Adine, that's what he wanted to do for his birthday. I'm like, that's what I cared about. He's 11 years old. We went to the movies. It was him and his friends, Brendan and Killian. Thanks for coming along. Uh, the only upsetting part was Icy Machine was down at one point. Then it was down. To, and Oof. I was like, oh, my God. No, it's his birthday. We have to. And then it was one flavor. I go, it's fine. We can deal with the blue. Like, we're totally good. Oh, and I got, it's, I'm with you. I'm with you. You can deal with it, but it's the, the least one you want. They, they were still enraptured, large popcorn. And I got milk duds for myself. I'm like, you know, it's my son's birthday. I'm getting milk duds. I'm going to go to town. I got some Twizzlers as well. But one Icy, not the same. Are they offering you a liquidy Coke Icy or Cherry? Well, like, are they at least no. offering these? Or they're like, it's just not yeah, working. First thing, it's not working. I go, what? And he goes, well, I think the blue is okay. And I go, I'll take it. Because I'd rather have a half liquid, half slushy Coke or cherry than a full slushy blue. I don't, I didn't this, is the, this, is the kind, this is the math I'm doing no, in I'm my head you, before a movie. At least you'll get some element of it, even if it's a little bit syrupy. But ultimately, right. that's what it's going to mm -hmm. be. Anyways, those are my thoughts mm -hmm. on Thor. I'll give it two and a half Maple Leafs. My brother's going to check it out. He loves Thor. We'll get his reviews on that kind of stuff. Other reviews, by the way, I mentioned Leonard Malton. Uh, this is Valerie Complex of Deadline Hollywood Daily. Taika Waititi seems to be still finding his footing with this franchise and may take him directing another film to find the right balance of these Asgardian heroes. I love Asgard. <laughs> and Rafer Guzman of Newsday, where Ragnarok poked a reference fun at genre. Love and Thunder feels geared towards the faithful, packed with a kind of cutesy asides and knowing winks that tend to exasperate outsiders. Oish. If you like Natalie Portman, you'll be happy. Um, do you want to do guest or you want to do Throw Mama from the Train? Let's do Throw Mama from the Train. I got to talk yeah, about this we'll thing. We'll get to the guest in a second. Douglas Wolk will get his thoughts on... Uh, on Thor, Love, and Thunder, and all the Marvel stuff. But first off, throw mom from the train. We're keeping the DeVito theme going. A bitter ex-husband wants his former spouse dead. A put-upon mama's boy wants his mother dead. Who will pull it off? Directed by Dan DeVito, 35th anniversary. Now, Chris is 10 years younger than me, so I don't think he had the benefit of even being alive when this movie came out. But I was nine years old. I had the VHS. I, it was 87. It was 87, so it was literally the year yeah, I was born. So I, had the, I had the VHS cassette. And watching it again now, I hadn't seen it. I mean, it's been decades. But I saw it a lot as a kid. I mean, at least a handful, six, seven, eight times as a kid. When you were a kid, really? you a kid, you have like two movies. You're like, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna watch this and Back to the Future. Okay, great. I, particularly, I will clarify. I think I watched the first 30 minutes of Throw Mom from the Train a lot because watching it again, I didn't remember much after the hour mark, and there's a reason why. Because the final third is the worst part of the movie. But the first two thirds, yeah. I'm telling you. Good comedy. It's entertaining, particularly the opening. Billy Crystal's playing this writer, stuck with writer's block. He's pissed because his ex-wife stole his book. He's watching Oprah. Hey, Oprah, remember me? And there is his ex-wife bragging, flaunting the success. Hot fire. 
And, and, she, and she literally ripped the book off. The guy's so mad, calling her a slut, yelling at the camera. He is a teacher, though. He's teaching writing. I love Branford Marsalis, known as Jay Leno's band leader. Branford Marsalis shows up his best friend. Hey, man, you got anything in green? Take some green. He borrowed all my greens. He goes to class. Dan DeVito's in the class. And you got an incredibly memorable scene in which he's going through each of the people's writing. And this guy is a book. Stepinski. 100 girls I'd like to pork. And, yeah, and you hear the dubbing of pork? And by the way, if you watch the dub, you clearly see Billy Crystal say the F word. So they, they wanted to go for a PG-13. They dubbed in pork. And after you pork? And he's like, yeah. He's like, okay. Uh, you know, chapter one, Sybil Shepherd. Chapter two, Suzanne Plachette. The, the Oriental Laker girl. The girl in the taco commercial. Stepinski, what is this? He's like, oh, it's a fantasy. It, it's my fantasy. It, coffee it, <laughs> coffee it, table. Yeah, read, it's, right? it's a coffee table book. It, 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 it's a fantasy. <laughs> it's my fantasy. Like Melville. He goes, Melville? Because I understand you're equating Moby Dick with a list of women you'd like to have sex with. And the one guy goes, I like the title. I hate the title. He's like, come on, it's a good book. I loved the the closed captioning in that scene. You, like, there was random guy in the back. It's a good idea. <laughs> like, there's like... <laughs> it's stuff you don't even pick up unless you have closed captioning on. It's just like random, like, hey, I like that. That's a good one. Peanut gallery weighing in. That's a vote for closed captioning. So DeVito's one of the writers in the class, and when Billy Crystal sees his stuff, he just puts it down. Doesn't even want to deal with it. And, you know, he's got this relationship with Beth, his, his current girlfriend. And at one point, he just has a huge meltdown with her because he keeps talking with his ex-wife. Because the guy goes, hey, I saw your wife on television. He goes, oh, ex-wife, Lester, ex-wife. And he starts screaming. He goes, I hate her. I wish she was dead. I'm like, oh, my God, impactful scene. So Danny DeVito follows him to where he's in his dry clean. They're in the rain. And he goes, hey, did you like my book? He's like, no, oh, and I, can we do this at school? He's like, what would you think? He's like, I didn't like it. He goes, there's a guy in a hat. There's another guy in a hat. He goes, you had a murder mystery with yeah. two characters, one of whom killed the other. Like, well, there's no mystery to this. He's like, you need to have alibis, stories, other things like that. He's like, go see a movie, get some ideas. Get rid of the motive. Get rid of the motive. That's a motive and alibi. He's like, I hate my ex-wife. I can't kill her though, because I have a motive. So I need to get away from that, okay. So going back to DeVito and his love of Hitchcock, and again, we've talked about high anxiety. Mel Brooks made a film in honor of Alfred Hitchcock with Hitchcock's you know, involvement, which I did not realize at the time. Well, I knew it throw me off the train. DeVito loved Alfred Hitchcock, so he wanted to make a film honoring Hitchcock. Strangers on a Train is a great, great film, and that's why this title is Thermometer from the Train. He goes and watches Strangers on a Train, which, by the way, one of Tim Kirchner's favorite movies. Tim and I talk about I'll get to text him right now. He'll love it right away. He'll be like, oh, yeah, you do my murder, I do yours. Crisscross, your father, my <laughs> wife. Each one of us wants someone we'd like to get rid of. And I love when DeVito's watching. You mean the movie The movie that DeVito watches yes. is one of Tim's Correct. favorite. Yeah, okay. on <laughs> I don't think he cares what throw from the train. But Strangers on a Train is an awesome Hitchcock movie. It's one of my top five Hitchcock movies. So DeVito's sitting there eating the popcorn, and he thinks that's what Billy Crystal's telling him. Oh, okay, I will kill your ex-wife and then you're going to kill my mama, which gets us to her mother, his mother, Anne Ramsey. Unbelievable performance. Nominated for an Academy Award. Like just a, Was yeah, she? Just a filthy, vile-looking woman. Owen! Owen! I think... Oh, man, I got the totally opposite. I was like, that was way overdone. No, she was awesome. I thought it was way overacted. I was like, what a ridiculous character. And how stupid Danny DeVito is. Like, oh, I'm just going to start... I'm just going to kill someone. Because <laughs> I saw something in the movie. I, I don't know. Mrs. I, Lift, I, I, who I was off the train, earned her nominations for an Academy Award and a Golden Globe Award. And you thought it was awful. I mean, I just thought that it was just so, like, ridiculous and, like, grotesque and there was like zero like it, it was so ridiculous like so why would anyone ever be that always mean to their kid it was just like no, I don't remember, know she I, says, I thought the Owen movie loves was his mama Owen loves his mama move it lard ass it's a ridiculous movie I thought I did think Danny Vito was really good DeVito in it because he creeped me out great performance yeah like I 
I, I, I'm not sure, you know, you're going to hate me for this. Not sure I'm buying Billy Crystal as this, like, heartthrob leading male. <laughs> like, was this, like, I want you to compare. Give me, who's today? Like, what Billy Crystal at that time, when I watched him in 1987, like, give me the actor today that he was. Uh, like Bradley Cooper. Bradley, see, that is, see, get that out of here. Get out of here with Billy Crystal <laughs> as Bradley Cooper. I was you just like, Billy Crystal's I don't know. a good-looking guy at that age. He was. No, he had. He, he, yeah, he did. He, he had. The, I watched the, like a better looking guy than I thought he was. When I watched him, I go, I better looking guy than I thought. Billy Crystal, good looking guy. Yeah. The next year he made When Harry Met Sally, which is an iconic romantic comedy. Women loved it. I couldn't get it out of my head. I couldn't get out of my head his uh, Tony's performance. <laughs> like, all I kept. <laughs> Here we go again. Here we go again. <laughs> like, just, <laughs> hey, hey. I don't know why I was going there. <laughs> but it, the movie was just ridiculous. I'm with you. Final 30 minutes, brutal. When Crystal goes down and he hurts himself, and then they're on a train inexplicably because he's on the run. Why, what, Mama would never go on the train in the first place. He then saves Mama, and then DeVito writes a children's book about their adventure. Like, really bad final 25 minutes. Through the last half hour, I had to keep like rewinding and like, oh, I missed this. What did I miss? Go back five minutes. So that it was tough to get through, but... I got it. Like it was. It, excuse me, as a hiccup. The first, uh, the first hour of it was enjoyable. Okay. I'll give okay. you that. It was. It was ridiculous. It was like the the penguin is the <laughs> Danny DeVito's second creepiest character. By the way, the first because like I like to watch these movies. I don't even read the uh, the synopsis before. I literally started watching this with no idea what was gonna like uh, what this was about. And it was try doing it that way. Danny DeVito even creepier <laughs> when you have no clue what to expect with all this. Is like, whoa, he's in a writing class and he's got this mom and I don't know. But it, overall, I'll give it two maple leaves. I wasn't I blown away by it. Maple leaves. I'm just saying, you're looking for a comedy from 35 years ago. Yeah. If you like, I like the directing. Again, he loves Hitchcock. There's an homage to Hitchcock. Uh, right. And, and Ramsey, we disagree on that one. I thought it was a great performance, especially when he's, he's got that thing in her ear and he pretends he has the scissors and he fantasizes about smashing the scissors through her head. And you get that close where we're like, ah, the scissors. He goes, oh, I, 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 just, I think you got it. Oh, I love you, baby. I just I felt like it was so one note. It was so one note, that mom character. Like, what, like it was just every time it's like, ah, ah, like, I don't know why she's angry. There was just no, like, depth yeah. to it. I was just like, it just seemed like this weird, angry. There definitely was not a lot of depth. Right? It was a one-note character, but a very memorable one-note. If you're going to play one-note okay. a certain way, it was well done. Academy Award nominated for Anne Ramsey, playing the mother from hell. Owen loves his mama. Owen loves his mama. Move it, <laughs> lard ass. The, but the fact he was poisons her with a coffee is unbelievable. Uh, all right, that is the mama from the train. It's now time for a special guest, Douglas Wolk. On the back end, a quick recap of the Emmy nominations. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.
All right, the master. Seriously, I want to call him the master of Marvel. His name is Douglas Wolk. He is the expert and the author of all of the Marvels, A Journey to the Ends, the biggest story ever told. Currently teaches at Portland State University, hosts the podcast Voice of Latveria, and he's also going to talk to us about Thor, Love, and Thunder. But most importantly, this book, All of the Marvels, which I've been sifting through, it's a remarkable achievement. You read all 27,000 Marvel comics. In fact, over 27,000 as I checked the footnotes. You are my kind of obsessive, Douglas. And I think it's the, the, the first chapter is amazing because you're like, I had to explain to people, this wasn't all I was doing. I wasn't just reading comics all the time. I didn't read it all in chronology. It wasn't start to finish. I read some on the treadmill. I read some at Starbucks, kind of all over the place. But still, over 27,000 comics. You are a nut job. Congratulations. Thank you. I, I've always wanted to be a nut job. This was such a massive undertaking. Like, at what point did you say to yourself, maybe this was a mistake? Was there ever a point that you were going to <laughs> So, on the one hand, like, I kept enjoying the comics. I kept enjoying the reading process. I had a really great time. On the other hand, when I started, I thought, okay, it's going to take me maybe a year to do all the reading and maybe eight months to write the book. And six and a half years later, here we are. Yeah. So six and a half years start to finish at that point. The book came out last year. Again, I encourage everyone to go check it out. If you're a Marvel fan or a Marvel neophyte, there's lots to glean. What's really fascinating is this. You made it clear in the book, A, kind of don't do what I did. And B, don't read them start to finish. Like if you oh, like yeah. Spider-Man, don't go and try to find the first ever Spider-Man issue and then read it in chronology. Why is that? Because you will lose your mind. It is the shortest possible route to being bored and frustrated and annoyed. And these comics are not for to make you bored and frustrated and annoyed. This is stuff that is created to be fun and pleasurable and entertaining. And that means, you know, you've got a time machine as somebody who can read the comics in any order. You don't have to go through them all in order. You can just go to the hot spots. You can go to the stuff you like. You can sample a bunch of things. You can see what you can enjoy. You're probably more likely to enjoy recent stuff than older stuff if you're just coming in. And you can go back and read older stuff later. That's fine. Yeah, it's key that you said that. Like when you're reading them, they'll, they'll kind of introduce different backstories and there's always kind of almost um, a revision to each comic. So they kind of let you get up to date. But sometimes you will you will be lost. You will not understand certain things. And that's kind of the way the comics are designed. There's there's a lot of suspension of belief and, and that's different, I think, than most narratives. As you said, there are people who will say to you, hey, I'm a completist. I just have to go start to finish. And you go, you know what? Marvel Comics will help you because this is not a spot for a completist. It will cure you of completism. It will cure you of that, like <laughs> having to do everything. Didn't cure me, but it will cure everybody else. All right. So when you go through this many, I want to know some of the worst ones. What were some comics you said, I cannot believe? And it was interesting. You said some of these were designed to literally be read and then thrown away. Like it, it's like immediate rubbish, like junk food. So I'm assuming some of those are among the worst ones that you read. Well, no. I mean, the ones that were designed to be read and thrown away are also some of the absolute best. Like the first Spider-Man comic, that was the last issue of a series called Amazing Adult Fantasy, later of Amazing Fantasy. Like, it was canceled. It was not selling well enough to keep going. And, you know, at that point, the assumption was it's 10 cents, it's 12 cents. Once the kid's done with it, you'll throw it away. There'll be another one next month. Once a comic was off the newsstands, it was gone. It was not coming back. Maybe you could find somebody who had saved a copy and swap with them, but there were not books collecting them. There were not back issue stores. Like, it was gone. And yet, people wanted to see these stories again. And so they came back into print, and eventually they stayed in print. The idea of collecting comics as books that could stay in print, that wasn't really a thing until the late 80s. So before then, the assumption was like, well, every issue is going to be somebody's first issue, and they're not going to be able to go back and see what happened before then. And that's a very different kind of storytelling. 
other thing I found fascinating is this. If you ask me who is the originator of Marvel, who is the Marvel guy, say Stan Lee, and yet I found it fascinating how many other people are involved with the origins of these characters. I think with Daredevil, you point out there's like eight different people who are responsible for Daredevil. Yeah, totally. I mean, what Stanley did was he was the ringmaster, he was the editor of the line, but he was not the big creative force in the line. Jack Kirby and Steve Ditko, who were both artists and also plotted a lot of the stories, were really the big creative forces. Lee was the person who figured out how to translate their visions to something that people would buy and who kept being a cheerleader and kept being a PR person. Uh, and he's the person who stayed with Marvel for many decades and became the voice of it in the face of it. But there were so many people involved with these stories creatively and Kirby and Ditko in particular, and a few other people a little later, Don Heck and John Romita and John Buscema, were the people who were making these images, often coming up with these stories. Lee was the person who added dialogue to the things that they had drawn. All right, let's talk about Thor. Before we get into the movie, Thor through the comics. What has he been like? How has he been portrayed? What's the different iterations of Thor? The way that the movies treat the comics in general is they just treat it as a giant supermarket. Like these are ingredients. These are bits that we can take. We can do all kinds of things so that we, we don't have to be faithful to the comics. That's one thing that I love about the MCU, that it feels no obligation to be faithful to the comics. Uh, so what we've seen Thor be in comics is We've seen him be, at the beginning, he's pretty straightforward, just like a superhero dude with a secret identity as a doctor with a messed up leg named Don Blake, whose secretary and like assistant is Jane Foster. And then a little later on, just like, no, he's a mythological figure. Let us actually put some more Norse mythology into this. And then later on, there's this fantastic thing. Walt Simonson was the writer and artist who was doing Thor in the mid eighties, who did this wonderful long sequence that has this massive scope and vision and draws very, very heavily on mythology more than ever before. And uh, the last few years we've seen uh, the Jason Aaron written run of Thor, which Love and Thunder draws on very, very heavily in which Jane Foster becomes Thor, which involves you know, Gore the God Butcher. Like there's all these plot points in the movies that are kind of drawn from those comics, but transformed. That brings us to the movie then. Lo Thor, Love and Thunder. I enjoyed it. I think Taika Waititi did a good job. I like his uh, nimbleness as a director, the fun-loving approach, and of course, an excellent cast. Starring three Academy Award winners. You got lots of Oscar winners here and a big summer movie. What did you think of the film? I enjoyed it in parts a lot. I enjoyed a lot of individual scenes. I enjoyed some of the gags. I had some big conceptual problems with it. My biggest problem is the idea of gore. This character who's like his origin, his whole raison d'etre is he is somebody who found out the hard way that faith is not going to magically grant your wishes or magically bring people back to life. And what is his goal? To reach this magical MacGuffin that can magically grant his wish and magically bring somebody back to life. What? I don't like that's that's just kind of formally incoherent. So that, that, that is my big problem. It, it is a tragedy in which everybody gets a happy ending, and it's dramatically uns unsatisfying that way. That said, gorgeous special effects, lots of really, really funny gags. I absolutely cracked up when I saw uh, the throne of scissors that the rock god is sitting on. Like, that, like that's, that's a solid joke. Um, and, you know, a handful of little Easter eggs for, like, nerds like me who read all the comics. Tell me more what you thought. You're the cinephile. 
Actually, what I want to talk to you really about, though, is Martin yeah. Scorsese, which is what we wanted to build up to. So uh, okay. here's my thing. Uh, your, your obsessive quest, which has been on, which is amazing, because Scorsese is a noted obsessive and the greatest cinephile of all time. You know, he's dedicated his life towards film preservation, be along with film creation, all the movies he's made. Now, he got a lot of controversy for his comments when he said that Marvel movies are not cinema. They're like theme parks. But I, I didn't think he was trying to denigrate the movies. Martin Scorsese grew up loving the films of Cassavetes and Fellini and Jean Renoir's The River. So for a guy like him, yeah, of course, um, you know, the films of Guardians of the Galaxy is not exactly going to be Francois Truffaut or Jean-Luc Godard. And I don't think he was just simply trying to point out that these films don't have the essence of cinema. They're not impactful in the way that he feels motion pictures can or should be. What did you think of the comments? Because, I mean, why would anybody be surprised that Martin Scorsese is not getting fired up for the latest Amazing Spider-Man? I don't know. Um, he might get fired up over Black Panther. That's a hell of a movie. Uh, you know, I don't really have a horse in that race. It's a different kind of thing. You know, I can say you know, Marvel comics are not source business kind of arty graphic novels. Like, yeah, what? So what? You know, they are remarkable pieces of comics making at their best. They're also sometimes terrible. The MCU movies can be really extraordinary. They are things that get into people's heads that whose images matter to them. Uh, they are aimed at a very broad audience. That is part of what they're doing. I don't have a quarrel with Scorsese. I also don't really agree with him, but whatever, you know, um, it's, <laughs> it's a medium. I, I'm, if you're expecting a, a punchback, you're not you're not going to get it from me. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I was just curious for somebody who seems to be so invested and obviously in adoration of that world. I was just curious for your take. I'm not looking for you. punch him, Doug. Come on. No, no, I'm not looking for you to take down Marty. Marty is Marty's unimpeachable. I mean, if if I'm you know if I'm going to watch something in the Criterion Collection, I'm maybe going to have a sort of different kind of experience than if I'm going to watch Into the Spider Verse. But on the other hand. It's kind of the same thing, and I wouldn't object if there were a Criterion Collection version of Into the Spider-Verse. That, that would not, you know. That's... <laughs> there's, there's no denying there's been quality Marvel films, but there's definitely been a lot of junk. And I don't, yeah. I'm not surprised that Martin Scorsese would not be fired up. His, his, his Criterion Collection, like you said, is going to be different than the rest of us. But It's also not surprising that Adnan would agree with everything Martin Scorsese says. Listen, <laughs> he's the greatest filmmaker of all time and certainly the best of the last, uh, certainly the greatest American filmmaker. We can include world cinema as well. But Douglas Wolk is still my kind of obsessive. Over 27,000 comics. I mean, you must have had people trying to talk you out of it. I mean, there must have been somebody that somebody goes, Doug, you can't do this. No, I got a lot of like, I'm, I'm so sorry for your loss. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's a remarkable achievement. I can't thank Douglas Wolk enough. Once again, make sure you check out the book. I already sent it to my brother. He's so excited. All of the Marvels, a journey to the ends of the biggest story ever told. Also currently teaching at Portland State University and the podcast, Voice of Latveria. Douglas, thank you so much for the time. I really appreciate it and uh, all the best. Thank you so much. All right, Emmy nominations came out. They're going to be held September 12th. As expected, Succession, guess how many nominations it got. I'll, I'll give you a barrier. Normally, it's like 15 nominations like for a big-time show like that. You know Succession is mm -hmm. 25 nominations. 
Wow. <laughs> I was going to say 14. So. 25 <laughs> nominations. You knew the ones are going to get. Brian Cox, Jeremy Strong are for Best Actor, except for Best Drama. Ted Lasso, a show a lot of people like. I don't watch it. 20 nominations. Just crushing the comedies. Sudeikis is up. Juno Temple, Brett Goldstein, Hannah Waddington, a ton of them, right? Supporting actors, Sarah Niles, Tahib Jamo, Nick Muhammad. All right, great. Only Murders in the Building, which I will review, by the way, season two. So far, I've seen three episodes. 17 nominations. Like, Only Murders in the Building, crushing it. My man, Martin Short, the best. And, of course, I love Steve Martin. White Lotus, 20 nominations. So outst- Is Steve Martin nominated? Be. I'm going to go through it right now. Outstanding drama okay. series. I'm thrilled to see Better Call Saul is nominated. It's going up against Severance, Squid Game, Stranger Things, Succession, as expected. I hope Succession, I mean, I think Succession's going to win, but Better Call Saul winning would be amazing. Outstanding comedy series. Again, what am I happy about? No surprises here. I may Please to see Barry recognize Curb Your Enthusiasm, The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, Only Murders in the Building. Those four shows I love, and guess what? Ted Lasso's probably going to win. Limited series, the one that was remarkable, Dope Sick. Michael Keaton, fantastic. I hope it wins. Maybe Pam and Tommy has a shot. Lead actor, I mentioned Brian Cox should win, but it's good to see Bob Odenkirk is nominated for Better Call Saul. I know people are excited about Severance and Squid Game. Lee Jung Jae gets nominated. Lead actress in a drama series, who cares about the morning show? But Reese Witherspoon did get nominated. Euphoria, a bunch of teenagers having sex and doing drugs. Zendaya gets nominated. Sandra O's Canadian, she's up for nomination. Laura Linney for Ozark, she's great. Jodie Comer, Killing Eve. Supporting actor, holy succession. You get Nicholas Braun for succession. Kieran Culkin for succession. Matthew McFadden for succession. Those guys are unbelievable. I hope one of those guys wins. But you know, I love John Turturro. He's nominated for Severance, as is Christopher Walken. Little love for Squid Game as well. Supporting actress in a drama series. As Chris and I were recording this interview. I had multiple texts going, finally, she did it. Ray Seahorn, the best actress on television, gets her first Emmy nomination for Better Call Saul. She is up for the Outstanding Supporting Actress in a Drama Series. Incredibly. This is the sixth season. She had never been nominated. New York Times, by the way, did a great profile on her this weekend. Like, the best actress on TV who's never been nominated. Like, everyone's been pushing. Ben Mankiewicz's tweet, like, bro, how did she not get nominated? Finally, me and Roy are going to be celebrating. Roy just celebrated his birthday. Yeah, Roy's, he doesn't stop tweeting about it yeah, since it's Ray happened. Ray Seahorn, Better Call Saul. Here's the other nominees, in case you're curious. Patricia Arquette, Severance, whatever, Julia Garner, Ozark, overrated, Christina Ricci, Yellow, whatever. Succession, we love. Jay Smith, Cameron, Sarah Snook, I'll take that. And Sydney Sweeney, she's up for euphoria. Again, teenagers doing their thing. Check her out on Instagram. But I'm voting for Ray Seahorn, Better Call Saul. So I'm pumped. I'm going to text her husband right now. Lead actor in a comedy series. <laughs> Pick up that name. Yeah. Is her husband's name Jason Seahorn? No, that would be amazing. Oh. Um, I was saying lead actor in a comedy series. I love the fact Bill Hader is nominated. But as you asked earlier, Steve Martin and Martin Short, both nominated. Doesn't matter today because he's going to win. Good luck to Donald Glover for Atlanta. I've heard people say that Martin Short like really gets into character here, but Steve Martin is just being Steve Martin. I thought they were both great. Steve Martin, very dry wit, <laughs> love his fedoras. Um, right. But Marty Short is incredible. Marty Short should win. Yeah. Uh, lead actress in a comedy series, the one that I always cheer for, Rachel Brosnan, the marvelous Mrs. Maisel. But who knows? Maybe Kelly Cuoco wins for uh, The Flight Attendant. People seem to like that show. Supporting actor, holy Ted Lasso. I already mentioned three of those guys got nominated. My man, Tony Shalhoub, he's up for The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, former cinephile guest. The two guys I'm pulling for, of course, Anthony Kerrigan for Barry or Henry Winkler for Barry. Love those guys. Supporting actress in a comedy series, the one I'm rooting for, Alex Borstein, the marvelous Mrs. Maisel. She's one before, maybe twice one before. Again, Ted Lasso, three nominations. Kate McKinnon nominated for Saturday Night Live. I believe she's announced she is leaving SNL, so maybe McKinnon wins yeah. for that one. Lead actor in a limited series, because I want to live with men. 
Colin Firth for the staircase. Absolutely fantastic. But the one who has to win, who doesn't love Michael Keaton? Michael Keaton is nominated for Dope Sick. <laughs> He's already won, by the way, the SAG Award and the Golden Globe. He's going to win the Emmy Award for this show, this miniseries, I should say. He's incredible. He's up against Oscar Isaac scenes for marriage, Andrew Garfield, but it's got to be Michael Keaton for Dope Sick. Lead actress in a limited series. I love Tony Collette for the staircase. Hopefully she does well. But Sarah Paulson, also outstanding. If you remember, I recall Impeachment, American Crime Story. I thought the story was kind of eh, but I said Sarah Paulson was the best part of the show. She is nominated uh, this time for Lead Actress Limited Series. A couple more to go through here. Supporting Actor Limited Series or TV Movie. Three nominees for Dope Sick. Let's go. Will Poulter, Peter Sarsgaard, Michael Stuhlbarg. I'll vote for all three of those guys. Fellow Canadian Seth Rogen is nominated for Pam and Tommy. I haven't seen it. I know it's about the sex tape, but good to see Seth. What? Seth Rogen gets an Emmy nomination. Stunning. I saw that show. I mean, he was very, free. like, I mean, he was in it. And I actually liked that show. But to think he got a nomination yeah. of all. Like, he's weird. walking around town right now going, bro, I'm an Emmy nominee. You go, what? For Pam and Tommy? Like, were you Tommy? Like, no, no, I was a supporting actor. I'm like, okay, whatever. He's the guy that, like, found the video. <laughs> <laughs> I've never seen this before. Supporting actress in a limited series or TV movie. There's seven nominees. Which, by the way, is already a bit of a joke here with the Emmys. Like, the Oscars do it right. Five nominees. This, as you know, seven nominees. Eight nominees in category. Yeah, whatever. Let's just add some more people. Seven nominees. I'm hoping for Mayor Winningham for Dope Sick or more than likely Caitlin Deaver for Dope Sick. She was amazing. She plays somebody who gets hooked on, uh, hooked on Oxycontin. But they're not going to win because the other five nominees are from one show. Seven nominees, five are from one limited series or TV movie. Connie Britton, Jennifer Coolidge, Alexandra Daddario, Natasha Rothwell, and Sidney Sweeney. All from The White Lotus. Five women nominated from one show. Jeez. Wow. Uh, outstanding reality competition. Who cares? RuPaul's Drag Race. Sure. Lizzo's Watch Out for the Big Girls. And outstanding variety talk series. Anybody but John Oliver. Like, enough. Like, he's awesome. He's super smart. He wins every time. Bro, you do a show. You do 30 shows a year. Like, it's a joke. You have a, you have a weekly show. You have 10 writers. <laughs> Colbert's cranking out five a night. Seth Meyers doing five a night. Um, you know, yeah. Jimmy Kimmel does five a night. One of those guys should win. Like, enough of this garbage of, well, you do 30 shows a year. Congratulations. Thanks for the 27-minute monologue about unemployment. I'll take the guy who's grinding up the show every night, talking to some reality star he couldn't care less about. That's what Colbert and Kimmel have to do. They have to pretend to be interested in some of these guests. Yep. I give them love. I love how much you love award shows. You just are fired up, man. I just love it. I just, I just love did it. the entire Emmy nominations in four minutes. Like That's unbelievable. Like People are like, okay, no. I mean, in-depth recap. I just flew through the whole thing. Yeah, like you're, that's what I mean. No one can do this. No one can do what you just <laughs> well, did. That's the case, but uh, nobody else can do what Douglas Wolk does. All the marvels. That guy's <laughs> the best. Uh, congrats to Ray Seahorn. Thanks to Chris Cody. Next week on vacation. Let's go. I'm taking a week off. Family vacation. First family vacation in like four and a half years. But I can't wait for Nope, which is coming out uh, July 22nd. New film from Jordan Peele. Cody taking vacation that week, though. So we got to do we gotta yeah. do a, an episode for Nope, but I don't know what's going to happen. Guest producer? Maybe a guest host next week? <laughs> We'll figure it out. We'll leave you with a cliffhanger. <laughs> cliffhanger here on Cinephile. I'll see you at the movies.